Hi folks, John Carlin here. As many of you know, Cyberspace is a Cafe Insider podcast that I host every other Friday. Guests who've made a significant impact in the world of cybersecurity join me to explore issues at the intersection of tech, law, and policy. For this week's episode, I speak with David Sanger. He's an author and longtime national security correspondent for the New York Times, where he's been a part of three teams that have won Pulitzer Prizes. His 2018 book, The Perfect Weapon, War, Sabotage, and Fear in the Cyber Age, has been adapted into a new HBO documentary of the same name. Both examine the emergence of cyber conflict on the international stage and its lasting impact on the nature of global power. We discuss the successful effort by U.S. officials to protect the election from cyber enemies, the increasing threat of ransomware attacks, and the challenge of adapting a book into a documentary and trying to tell the story of cybersecurity visually. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned with Preet. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. One thing we're getting a little better at, John, but I think we've got a long way to go, is the assumption that most cyber data that you're collecting has a very brief lifespan as useful intelligence and therefore should be, in my view, largely assumed to be unclassified, except perhaps the details of how you obtained it, so that you can spread it much more quickly. Because if you've got live information, as they did in the case of the Iranian Proud Boys emails, if you don't act on it within hours or days, it's going to be useless within a week. And we had a system in 2016 where people would spend weeks or months trying to decide whether to declassify something. My view would be if you really want to ramp up your deterrence, don't classify it to begin with, except in the most extraordinary circumstance. In other words, assume that it's unclassified until you can make a case to the contrary, instead of assuming that it's classified and then trying to disentangle that. I think that's a very uh, interesting idea and definitely points to a current problem, which is if, if it is default classified, although there's been a lot of work done to speed that process, it's still, you're right, too slow for purposes of operational collaboration. So by the time it gets declassified or shared, let's say, for a private company that's under attack or otherwise, then, as, then as you say, it, it's no longer useful to them. It's too late. And it, there's been a lot of work to, to try to change that. I have one just to poke at you a little bit on, I sometimes I wonder with, how do we, how do we keep this in the public's mind when there's not a national security angle or an election angle, even though it may create the same long-term threat. So to use a concrete, real example, right now, we have a major, TrickBot existed pre-election, and even without TrickBot, it's just one example of a scheme that can be used for ransomware. We are, I think this year, we'll be setting another record in terms of the, both the number of ransomware attacks 
attacks that malwares deployed where people can't access their own systems without paying the bad guy to get a key or get a decryptor. And they also, those same bad guys are stealing information day in, day out uh, from companies in order to extort them for a payment, or they say they'll release it and damage the company. I think we'll have a record year, both in volume, but also in the amount that's getting paid to these bad guys. And it's an unvirtuous cycle, right? The, the bad guys take what is paid to them and invest it into research and development and hiring more people to do the hack. But I wonder, where's the attention going to go when the election is over, precisely because it is so commonplace? How do you cover that? How do you keep it in the minds of the American people? And the world. Because at some point it becomes like the drug trade, right? It's going on as as background uh, activity, but it's not really hitting the headlines. Um, you know, COVID may give the opportunity to focus attention on this. I spend uh, as much time as I can uh, up in Vermont. And the University of Vermont uh, State Hospital up in Burlington has been dealing with a two-week-long, very severe case of ransomware which the Times has written a little bit about in, in recent days, that has basically frozen their ability to get at their files on patients at a moment that we're seeing COVID surge around the country. Um, you would think that that alone would focus this kind of attention. But the fact of the matter is that ransomware happens in bits and pieces against small towns and small hospitals And it's not the big Pearl Harbor-like attack that turns off all the power from Boston to Washington. And therefore, it's very difficult to get people's sustained attention to it. Um, And it's turned into such an ordinary business that we see many companies, even law firms, I'm sure you've heard of this in the legal profession, basically reaching quiet settlements with the ransomware actors because the embarrassment of having to admit to your clients that their data was insecure and had been obtained in an attack is so huge. So one of the big questions in my mind is, should there be laws requiring companies that are hit by ransomware to make it public? And where do you fall out on that? So so just for listeners, the current state of the law is that it is legal to make an extortion payment to uh, for, as the victim, if it is a normal criminal group, if it is a designated entity, so this is an, an authority of the Treasury Department to designate certain entities to sanction them and put them on a, a list of sanctioned actors. And that might be individuals, it might be criminal groups. In the cyber arena, one is makes it easy for you to determine whether they're good or bad because they name themselves Evil Corp or Evil evil Corporation. They've been designated um, or could be a, a nation state. And that is not, uh, that, w- that would be unlawful. And in fact, that regime is strict liability, meaning even if you didn't know and you unintentionally made a payment to a sanctioned group, you could still be subject to an enforcement action from Treasury And if you intentionally made a payment to certain groups, like terrorist groups, that might even be a criminal prosecution, material support terrorism or other statutes. So we've made it lawful. And because we made it lawful, I actually think for many, you know, having advised clients in this area, they have to consider making the payment, right? If you're a publicly held company, 
you have a duty to your shareholders and essentially you need to decide whether it's better or worse in your individual instance to make the payment. You, you can think about the background of, is it better, better for all, but really it's specific to your situation. And for some of these, as you outlined, David, if it's a hospital, it could be a life or death situation. We've seen police departments pay ransomware. What would happen if tomorrow we made it unlawful? I mean, are we ready for that? What, what would happen? The first thing is, I think the treasury rule is a little bit ridiculous because with the exception of whether, you know, when you're hit by evil corp, you're not likely to know whether the person or or organization at the other end of the Bitcoin line is in fact a sanctioned entity or not. And so your chance of getting convicted, I would think, would be pretty low because you could argue that you had no way of knowing who it was. Ah, but just as a reminder, though, the Treasury Department and the OFAC guidance, it's strict liability. You don't need to know. So they could do an enforcement action. You know, they'd have the grounds, even if you really had no idea. The guidance they put out said, you know, essentially, we'll consider certain factors, though. Normally, you're supposed to have factors, right? Like, know your customer to avoid sanctioned entities. But here, you know, it's a pretty bad customer because they just <laughs> criminally hacked you and are demanding extortion. So you think it starts at a pretty bad level. It, it, it does. My, my own view is it would probably be pretty unenforceable to take criminal action for paying these, although I could imagine a few examples. But I do think that you could require that they make it public. And let me give you some examples. First of all, if you are a publicly held company and you've been forced to uh, pay ransomware, I think you have an obligation to report it to your shareholders. Right now, that's usually enforced only if the ransomware is, and, and the breach was big enough that it could you know, be a noticeable effect on earnings. But I think that should be made public. If you are a public entity, a police department, a school district, a public hospital, I certainly think you need to go make it public because you're spending taxpayer dollars to pay off the ransom. And your taxpayers may have views on that, right? We have had cases where cities and towns have paid the ransomware, and we have used local Freedom of Information Act requests to get the details, how much they paid and uh, you know when they paid and so all the circumstances of that. And we've seen cities and towns try to resist our Freedom of Information Act requests on the basis that their own taxpayers don't need to know and that it would only encourage further attacks if it was made public that they paid. Well, that may be the case, but I can't, you know, if the public deserves to know how much money you spent filling potholes, I think they deserve to know if you spent several million dollars from your budget to pay off ransomware. And I think that making the, forcing it to be public will probably be a bigger inhibitor on paying than the possibility of legal action. Interesting. As reflecting our respective biases, I've been thinking that there should be a mandatory reporting to law enforcement before you make a payment. But public reporting would be interesting as well. Do you fear a little bit it might have the opposite impact though? So if you have to report it publicly, number one, you know, depending on who you are, they might be outraged that you did not pay ransom. Although presumably there'd be some focus on what you did beforehand, but whether it's a company that supports other businesses or if it's customer information that they could get back or 
police department that might be down for two weeks, the pressure might be to to pay. Uh, that that'd be one concern. And then the the second, I guess, but linked would be that it'll it'll normalize it even more and may not change behavior. And then we've just gotten into a business as usual as paying large amounts to criminal groups. Curious on your thoughts. It's a really interesting question. So we have a little bit of empirical evidence here. Baltimore refused to pay when their systems were locked up. And we play this out in the documentary, Perfect Weapon. And they ended up paying millions of dollars more to reconstitute their systems than the ransomware actors were demanding from them. Now, of course, we don't know. Had they paid the ransom, would they really have gotten all their data back? And, you know, that's that's an unknown in these cases. We have had other cases. There's a small town in Florida that did pay and did get everything back and, you know, feels like they made the right decision because they point to Baltimore as an example of a group that had to pay, you know, a lot more. I think every time you pay it, of course, you're, as you point out before, you are simply... Um, uh, financing their R&D to be more sophisticated and increasing their incentive to go strike others. So that's why at a minimum, I would call for making it public if you had to go pay, because then you've got to go explain to your constituents, whether they are shareholders or taxpayers or someone else, why you didn't pay enough I hope you've enjoyed this sample from the Cyberspace Podcast. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com student. To the many of you who've chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.